0: Hey fellow true crime lovers, my name is Patrick and I am the host of Not Adding Up. Not Adding Up is a podcast that features cases, as the name implies, don't add up. This can be disappearances, strange deaths, wrongful convictions, unsolved crimes, and other unexplained phenomena. Each week I walk a friend or family member through a case in which they are unfamiliar I do this to allow them to ask questions I may not have thought of while researching or that you may have as you listen. The cases I cover range from ones that are well known to some you may not have heard before. Since the cases I cover don't add up, I always encourage my listeners to form their own theories on what they believe happened and never present my opinion as fact. Frequently, my co-host has a very different theory than my own, which proves the cases I cover are ones that just don't make sense and need to be discussed further. So if you are a true crime lover and find yourself constantly forming your own theories when listening to podcasts, not adding up is perfect for you. Tune in each Friday for new episodes available on all major streaming platforms. Crime
1: Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals, so please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7, it is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. Hey guys, it's Mary Ann, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker, And I want to thank all of you who have hung in there with me on my low times, my very low times, and my even lower times. I promise at some point we're going to hit a better time. It's gotta happen at one point, right? Today, we're going to talk about another cold case from 1985 and This is a case that I was actually surprised isn't spoken about much because of the sheer brutality of this case. And it it was just a horrendous case, but I haven't heard it discussed much. It happened here in Wichita, Kansas, and it is the case of Linda Sean, Casey. One other thing I want to talk about is we are at the moment still Crime Scenes and Cupcakes transitioning towards Killers for Breakfast. In about, I believe we're at five more episodes. In five more episodes, we will be completely transitioned over because we, when we hit our fifth season, we will be at Killers for Breakfast. Be prepared for that. Look for the new artwork and be prepared for the new name we will still be found at the same channels just want you to be prepared for that so when you open us up and find a new name we are still the same people just with a little bit more improvement certain crimes hold a key to capturing americans and journalist hearts these cases receive immediate attention from some of the biggest News media sources, podcasters, and TikTok influencers from around the world as information of these cases are picked apart and debated, and the world begins fighting for the rights of that one victim. But what about the other victims? What about the victims whose cases fall as nothing more than a blurb on page four? They're read and then basically forgotten. What about those cold cases who have little to no family that's left fighting for answers? More than 600,000 people go missing in the United States. Not only that, 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered each year. Roughly 25 remain unidentified after one year. There are also over 200,000 cold cases in the United States alone. Now I want you guys to stop and think. How many of those cold cases do you know who the victims are? You know Jean Benet Ramsey, Maura Murray. You know the big name. But what about the rest of them? The rest of those, those are our cases. Now we focus on the ones mostly in the Kansas area and surrounding states because there are a great many other podcasters that are doing the same work we are in their local areas. By utilizing crime solve techniques, we all work together in this fight and we won't stop in our fight until we get larger media sources to stand up and pay attention to these crimes. We want to get their local police departments to answer some of the outstanding questions on their cases. We don't stop until there are eyes on these cases and answers for these victims. This is our mission statement. This is what we do. We don't have time to stop for breakfast because we get up every day and we work on these cases. And there are many independent podcasters doing this work. And yeah, we get little to no attention. But we are striving and we will continue to do so until we get the attention of larger media sources on the cases, not our podcast. We are killers for breakfast, and this is what we do. On June 29th, 1985, 31-year-old Linda Sean Casey was preparing dinner for her and her boyfriend, Randall Babbitt. A co-worker had just dropped her off at home to her apartment located at 356 North Spruce in East Wichita, Kansas. Sean, as she preferred to be called, worked part-time for the Electric Shock Coalition in Wichita. It's a consumer-based group fighting the proposed Wolf Creek electric rate increases. She had been there that day from one thirty till about 3.45 and then she went home to prepare dinner for for her boyfriend. And as I said, she had been dropped off by a coworker. Her boyfriend had called the apartment about 4 p.m. to confirm that they were going to have dinner that evening. Now, Sean was a beautiful woman. She was somebody you would notice from across the room, from across the workplace, or just walking across the street. She had this thick, beautiful corkscrew, auburn tinted curls. And she had porcelain skin. And a lot of people, her friends would say, a lot of people thought her hair was a wig because it was just so thick and beautiful. And Sean had a lot going for her recently. She had just celebrated her 31st birthday the week before and she was on the verge of earning two college degrees after working so hard for 12 years. And girl, I completely get that. She was so close to getting everything she had ever wanted on top of it she had big plans for the evening again she was going to have dinner with her boyfriend and then they might be taking in a concert tom petty by the way she had discussed trying to get tickets with another friend of hers cynthia perry so sean lived in like a multi-dwelling home it's one of those houses that they convert into apartments and several of the residents were actually home that day. One of the things that's really important to note is Sean would use a wine bottle to prop open her bedroom window. She did that to kind of circulate air throughout the room and she loved to be able to get that fresh air and sunshine for her plants while she would bustle about her busy day. But Sean had no idea that that wine bottle would be one of the weapons used against her by someone whose intent was not robbery. Their intent was just to commit as much pain and assault as possible. So like I would said, what we kind of got is Sean's boyfriend calls her at four o'clock. Confirming, yes, we're making dinner, we've got plans for tonight, can't wait to see you. Then at 5.30, Sean's downstairs neighbors, they begin banging on the ceiling to complain about leaking water through the ceiling. Now, it's worth noting, they didn't complain of any loud screaming or sounds of a struggle it was just the dripping water that they complained about. Now, at 6 p.m., Warren and Cynthia Perry stopped by her house to see whether Sean had been able to obtain tickets to the upcoming Tom Petty concert that we had talked about. Now, they had discussed that a few hours earlier. Sean had said her boyfriend was going to be coming over for dinner. And she was going to try to get those tickets. It was like a two for one. And she was going to try to do that. And so the Perries, they began banging on Sean's door. There was no answer. And whenever that happened, they would go to her window, the window that is normally propped open, but it's not open. So they began banging on it and there's no answer. And they thought it was really odd that this window, this bedroom window that is normally open, it's not open and Shawn's really meticulous about lighting for her plants. And the window's not open and it's kind of covered. And they're, they're banging for like 10 minutes and there is nothing. They're a little freaked out by it, but little do they know just how freaked out they should have been because police are thinking that at that time, the killer could have still been there on the other side of the door, just watching and waiting. Were they going to leave or were they going to be his next victims or had he been caught? So when they decided to leave, it could have either saved their lives or they could have caught a killer. That one question, we will never really know the answer to. Now, finally, Randall Babbitt, Sean Casey's boyfriend, finally arrives home just a little bit before 8 p.m. And he's not prepared for what's waiting for him. He arrives in the apartment, and again, he's thinking things are a little off, and he goes in, and he sees something in the corner of the bedroom, and that's when he realizes it's Sean's body, and the wine bottle that had been used to prop open the bedroom window to provide that cool breeze, it is staged grotesquely on her body and we're not going to get into that exactly. Now, we do get into the crime a little bit here shortly, but that is so that we can hopefully find some information and find justice for Sean and her family and friends. Now, Sean, she has been so mutilated. He could not hardly recognize that it was the same woman he had kissed goodbye to earlier in the day. Shock, terror, disbelief, it all just washes over him. He can't call 911 from the apartment because the telephone wire, he realizes, has been savagely sliced through and it's bloody. Instead of running to a neighbor, he just grabs his keys and jumps in his car And he heads to the Spangles at Central and Hillside. And a lot of people have questioned, why the hell would you do that? Why would you drive all the way over there? Because it's it's not right there. It's close, but it's not right there. And he states, because in that moment, all he can think about is that that Spangles had Sean's favorite salad bar. And he just needed to get there in that moment. And I'm sure all he could think about was he needed a safe space. That is something so horrific. Your brain is not firing at a normal level. And he just needed a safe space. And for him, the Spangles at Central and Hillside in that moment was his safe space. Unfortunately, in his state of shock, when he phones 911, He gives him the wrong address because he just isn't thinking right. It's not until he gets back to that apartment where his girlfriend is at in such a horrific manner and he's waiting. He's waiting for those flashing lights. He's waiting for the police to show up and just hurry up and get here so we can figure out what the hell has happened to Sean. But 10 minutes go by. 15, 20 minutes, where the hell are the police? And he's like, okay, I've got to call the police again. And he goes to a neighbor this time. He's thinking a little bit clearer and he calls dispatch. And that's when he finds out shit. He gave him the wrong address. Once police finally arrive, that's when the investigation can finally begin. And I am sure at that moment. Randall and all of Sean's family and friends who are beginning to gather. I'm sure they were all thinking, okay, the police are starting to look at this crime scene and it's going to be a few days or maybe a few weeks, but police will find her killer. They didn't think they would still be thinking about this for 38 years, but 38 years and we are still trying to find answer for Sean's family Friends and loved ones. But let's take a moment and look at the investigation and look at what happened to Sean so hopefully we can get answers in her case. When police arrive to investigate, they are able to determine that the killer had not just killed Sean. Police suspect Sean's killer had spent some considerable time in her East Wichita apartment on that Saturday. They noted that there was no forced entry to either door and police began to wonder whether Sean knew the person or if the person had come to her home under a guise such as a gas man or another type of worker. I have my own theory and we're gonna get to that. Now, Sean had been sexually assaulted as well as her body was mutilated. This killer exhibited a lot of rage towards Sean. The items that were used on Sean though, were from around her home. It's not like the killer brought a bunch of things with him. So it doesn't appear as if this was anything planned by the killer. The killer used Sean's butcher knife to stab her. In fact, the, butcher, the killer had used the butcher knife with such force that the butcher knife was bent. The killer cuts the phone cord, but he doesn't cut it until after there is blood already on his hands. So this makes me think, that he had to stop what he was doing to cut the phone line. Now, what would make a killer stop in the middle of what they were doing, they're covered in blood, their hands at least are, to stop to cut a phone line? Was the phone beginning to ring? Was the noise interrupting his fantasy? He had to have had control of Sean under that moment. Why else would he feel okay to walk away? Why, why would he feel like it's an okay moment to walk away from her to go cut that phone line? Then there's that wine bottle. That wine bottle that's used in multiple times in this case has really just stuck with me. That wine bottle was used to prop the window open to catch cool breezes on a June day. Did that wine bottle catch the eye of the wrong person? Could the person have been able, and I can't find any pictures of the house. And I just wonder, could the person have been able to come through that open window while Sean was gone at our meeting? They just waited. And they waited while Sean was on the phone with her boyfriend while Sean turned her back to make dinner. Were they in there waiting somewhere? And then that's when the blitz style attack occurs and he strikes her with the wine bottle. Cause they talk about how she was beaten about the head with the wine bottle. Were those the first strikes to incapacitate Sean? Able to incapacitate her? Then he's able to, while that's happened, after being struck by this wine bottle that happens to be so strong that it still hasn't shattered, and during this time, while she's stunned, is when he binds her hands and he gags her and he begins his assault. Then the phone rings and it stops what he's doing and he decides, okay, enough of this nonsense and he goes to cut the phone line and he returns to torment Sean Casey. Now, as we had stated, she was sexually assaulted and as the police have stated, they call it that she was butchered. Now the killer had brutally stabbed her and repeatedly in the back, the abdomen, and her vaginal area. He used a, the butcher knife, again, using something from her home. He used a butcher knife from her own kitchen. And then the killer does something which tells us that I If the killer is acquainted with her, I don't think the killer knows her very well. The killer might know her from the neighborhood, or the killer might know her from afar, but I don't think this killer is in a close circle, if they know her at all, because here's why. This person uses the bathroom sink to wash up. Because they're completely unaware that that sink is generally never used by anyone who knows Sean. Because it doesn't have a drainage pipe. And everything would immediately overflow and drip into the downstairs basement. So to me, this rules out someone in any type of well acquaintance with anyone that lives in it, Even with any of the residences. Because Everyone kind of knows this about that apartment. The killer of Sean Casey, they did, they were able to know to go into Sean Casey's closet. And maybe this is again, just after a lot of searching, because it seems like they went through her house quite a bit. But in doing so, they were able to find a pair of Sean Casey's boyfriend's pants. And I do find this interesting Um, Obviously, their clothes are covered in blood, and they remove a pair of Sean Casey's boyfriend's pants, and they put those on, and they end up taking all of their clothes with them because the police do not find any blood-stained pants, and I just find that, you know, a, a little odd as to how they would know to look for that pants but it also shows the amount of time that they had to have been there to wash up that much blood get cleaned up go through the items and it also tells us that they to me they had to have been there before Sean Casey had come home for them to have accumulated some of these items I think they had to have been in the home prior to her coming home home. And there weren't a lot of abnormal things. They go back to Sean's early years. Now, Sean Casey, she was, as we had said, an outgoing, amazing woman. She loved jazz, polar bears, gardenias, and French racing bicycles. She baked cookies for neighborhood kids and quoted Jean-Paul siart adopted stray cats, and loved nothing more than spending time with friends over Chinese dinners. She had played the flute and twirled a flaming baton in her high school band. She was the type of woman who transformed weed patches into clusters of zucchini and tomatoes. She loved her plants. She dreamed of going on to archaeological digs in South America. She would braid red, gold, and green Christmas ribbons onto all Christmas packages to give them each that special Sean individual touch. She wanted everything in life to be special. Now, as we had stated before, and also because Sean was a WSU student, that really got the rumors going that her murder was tied to BTK. Authors even mentioned her case in books about the serial killer. But police say, and they have gone through this extensively, Dennis Rader is not responsible for this crime. Detective Heather Bachman from the Wichita Police Department was quoted as saying, due to the victim's demographics, and well, you know, everybody wanted when you couldn't figure it out immediately who did it, they wanted to say, well, what about BTK? And we come across that with all of our cases. But you can't blame everything on the local serial killer. A lot of DNA evidence that back in 1985, as Detective Bachman states, we didn't have the ability to take that and process it, that we have been able to do in the last year and are working on it. The problem is they haven't gotten a lot of hits off of that yet. DNA just hasn't panned out, but a tip from the public, that could be the clue that puts a killer behind bars. If there's somebody that might know anything at all about this case, it would be a huge relief to her family and Friends. It's been over 30 years. I'm talking to those of you out there. As we're talking about Linda Shawn Casey's murder. As you are aging, hopefully you realize the importance of being able to go on. And knowing that there is a burden of information that you are holding on to, don't you want to put your mind at ease? If it was your daughter, if it was your son, wouldn't you want that person to cooperate in any way possible? What happened to Sean and that anxiety of not knowing has got to be one of the most difficult things to hold on to if you know something you could come forward and it could be anything there were several people that day that were at that meeting there were several people living within that complex you can't tell me somebody doesn't know something That crime was so brutal. And the biggest complaint somebody had was about water dripping. There has to be something more. If you know something, please come forward. A waiting and wondering. Burden that friends and family hold on to every day. You go to bed with it and you wake up with it and all you want is an answer. What if, is this somebody I know? And that what if tears you apart. If you know anything about this crime or any other crime, call Crime Stoppers right away at 316-267-2111. You don't have to give your name. And if your tip leads to an arrest, you could be eligible for a cash reward. Crime Stoppers is a not-for-profit organization of citizens against crime. Please come forward. Linda Sean Casey was murdered on June 29, 1985 at 31 years old, but we have not forgotten her case and we have not forgotten her name. Help us keep this case going. Help us spread awareness and help us spread her case. Thank you for listening. Be safe.